Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So we're at the fourth and I think the final um, class on the Anapanasati Sutta. And just to remind you all that this sutta is a sutta that is, um, it, it's often, and I would say almost always, uh, misunderstood and misapplied as the Buddha's teaching on different types of meditation methods, uh, where a, a, an understanding of what the Buddha actually taught and why, and then not adding or embellishing this sutta reveals that it is simply, uh, but most importantly, the Buddha's teaching on the effects of authentic, correct Dhamma practice as the Buddha teaches. And you'll hear that in his words here. It's a great sutta to refer to if you ever feel like you're lacking some direction in your Dhamma practice and not quite sure what you're trying to develop or where you hope to go. This is the sutta to read and, and listen to, uh, and I would say over and over again, but it, again, because this is the Buddha's teaching on what are the results, what can we expect from authentic Dhamma practice, integrating the Eightfold Path, including jhana meditation, and what's to, what will develop from that. So um, we're about uh, to the uh, three quarters of the way through this sutta, and so now the Buddha is really bringing this, um, uh, the description of Dhamma practice to some very fine points, the Buddha's words. Whenever a monk trains himself, and again, these are such important words, this is training. This isn't something that we just kind of hang out and do and, and hope that we gain some benefit just based on faith or belief or the, the number of times that we might meditate or how long we meditate. We train ourselves. When a monk trains himself, I will breathe in and breathe out, satisfying the mind. What the Buddha is, is teaching us here, again, it's the result of authentic practice. I will breathe in and breathe out. As a result of jhana practice, my mind is satisfied. What is the result of an unsatisfied mind? Grasping after and clinging to constant self-reference, constant self-identification, constant eye-making in the world. Jhana meditation within the framework of the Eightfold Path results in this. When I breathe in, I satisfy the mind. Breathe in and breathe out. It is that simple process of jhana meditation that, it, that supports the integration of the entire Eightfold Path that allows for this one simple and most profound act. I take a breath, I breathe in, I'm mindful of it, I breathe out, I'm mindful of it, and my mind is satisfied. What the Buddha is also saying in here is if you do that and your mind is still grasping after or clinging to some aspect or some fabrication of self, he's simply saying, continue. Recognize that it's not there. And the Buddha continues. I will breathe in and breathe out, steadying the mind. As a simple consequence, as a direct consequence of jhana meditation, again, within the broader framework of the Eightfold Path, when I breathe in and when I breathe out, when I'm mindful of that, my mind steadies. 
and you've all experienced each of these aspects in your meditation practice, but we, we can talk about that in discussion. The Buddha continues, I will breathe in and breathe out, releasing the mind. Releasing the mind from what? In the context of Dhamma, we know we're releasing our mind from clinging to views ignorant of Four Noble Truths. And so this allows us, releasing the mind from clinging to fabricated views, allows us to develop the, the Four Noble Truths. I will breathe in and breathe out, releasing the mind. They remain focused on the mind, free of distraction. Now, the Buddha describes, he doesn't even leave the non-distracted state or, or samadhi up to our interpretation. He tells us what it is. They remain focused on the mind, free of distraction, which is being ardent, aware, and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. Abandoning the world with reference to clinging to the world, to worldly entanglements, to me in the world and who I am in the world. I'm going to read it again. Authentic Dhamma practice, including jhana meditation, brings us to this point. They are able to remain focused on the mind free of distraction, free of eye-making. They remain ardent, aware, and mindful while, this is the process that we're doing within ourselves, while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. We don't want anything of the world and we're not affected by the world. And so how do we do that in times of crisis like this? When there's a lot out there that's grasping after our minds to, to, to attach ourselves by opinion and hatred to what's occurring. We refer back to this. I remain focused on the mind free of distraction. I remain ardent and alert and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. I don't need the world to be any different how do I arrive at that? Because I understand that it can't be any different. The most foolish thing that any human being can do is to arrive in this moment and say, I don't accept it. Why? Because you're mixing up acceptance and approval. You're saying to yourself, I need to approve of what's occurring. And that approval results from not understanding what's occurring. Because out of understanding the three defilements, I see it clearly in the world. I see it manifesting in the world. And through that understanding, I can put aside craving and distress with reference to what's occurring. Even when crazy people are, seem to be taking over the world or at least taking over current events. I understand that. I understand it's, it's a consequence of simply having a human life, even though it's an extreme consequence. Those of us that are old enough to have lived through these times before have a ready reference point to that. Those that haven't have to apply the Dhamma to recognize, yes, this has occurred throughout human history. And I will tell you that in my life, and Jeff could say the same thing, that there's never been a day when there hasn't been human beings killing other human beings, often in some type of organized war. It's, it's how human beings live. Those of us here today are very fortunate that we haven't lived through that directly, but when war occurs, when human beings kill each other in the world, it affects us. When greed, aversion, and deluded thinking is ongoing, human beings, and we are human beings, cannot help but be affected by it. But through the Dharma, when it occurs, we can remain ardent, aware, and mindful while we put aside craving and distress with reference to the world because we now have the tools to do that 
and we have the developing right view to understand it. The Buddha continues. When this occurs, again, putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world, when this occurs, this monk, this Dhamma practitioner, remains mindful of the in-breath and the out-breath, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful, while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. The Buddha is saying almost the same thing back to back, but a slight difference there, isn't it? He's, he's pointing us back in a, um, I would say, a very strong and direct way with, with, with a, a lot of meaning behind it, the importance of recognizing the in-breath and the out-breath. Not just go ahead and breathe. Recognize the in-breath, the arising of phenomena and the out-breath, the, the passing away of phenomena, the arising of war in the world and the passing away of war in the world, the arising of possibly my hatred towards another human being, recognizing and taking a, taking a breath and watching it pass away in my breath, grounded in right view. And in that way, I'm directly freeing myself from my where my mind might want to go. But the Dhamma provides that refuge of, refuge of recognition of where not to go. Ardent, alert, and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. And then the Buddha says some very important words. I do not say that there is a development of mindfulness of breathing, jhana meditation, for anyone who is forgetful, in parentheses of these instructions, or who are not fully aware of these instructions. If you want the benefit of the Dhamma, you have to practice the Dhamma as it's intended. And again, this isn't something... um, authoritarian it's it's said out of great compassion and when you understand what Siddhartha Gautama was teaching and what motivated him to teach you can still feel that great compassion from 2600 years ago I do not say that there is development of mindfulness of breathing for one who is forgetful of these instructions or who is not fully aware of these instructions You have to understand it, you have to learn it, and then you have to practice it, according to the Buddha. Whenever a monk trains himself, I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to impermanence. I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to dispassion, eye-making. I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to cessation. We talk about this all the time. Wise restraint in this moment is being sensitive to cessation. I want to be aware, or I must be aware of the diminishing of my own ignorance. I will breathe in and breathe out sensitive to the cessation. I recognize the benefits. Ehepasiko. Come and see for yourself. Again, through these very clear and very definite instructions. Not just go and meditate and focus on world peace or focus on ending poverty. Do this, and then you might have some effect on those other things that are vexing humanity. The Buddha continues, I will breathe in and breathe out, sensitive to relinquishment. I could put, the, I could add a word in there saying sensitive to all relinquishment. Re, now, what are we talking about? The relinquishment of ongoing eye making in this moment, not in the past, not tomorrow. In this moment, am I sensitive to relinquishment? In this moment, the <coughs> excuse me. It is a Dhamma that generates the inner poise and the wherewithal to do just that, 
to recognize and abandon eye making in this moment. And the reason why I continue to study and develop the suttas when I first understood what the Buddha was saying is just this. Because it's the first and only thing I've ever thought or, or found that brought me what I wanted when I was a 14-year-old boy. I didn't understand the nature of my own eye-making back then and the confusion and frustration and anger it generated in me. But when I came to the Buddha's Dhamma, I now understood what I need to do. I need to let go of all of these fabricated thoughts that I developed living in this environment that I felt I needed to to establish myself and maintain myself in safety and in notice. And you could say almost... Um, not in infamy, but in in the all of me. This is me, and I need to maintain it. It wasn't until I understand understood that the point was letting all of that go that the Dhamma made any sense. But I couldn't come to this understanding until I understood what the Buddha taught in the Paticca Samuppada Sutta, the primary sutta on dependent origination, and then the Sakavabhanga Sutta, the analysis of the Four Noble Truths. But, excuse me. Then the Buddha says, those of us that have developed the Dhamma, excuse me, and all of us here know that we can develop the Dhamma, that it's for human beings to develop. It's not for something, uh, for someone who is superhuman or has extraordinary abilities. It's for each and every one of us. On this occasion, this Dhamma practitioner remains sensitive to all mental qualities. What, what the Buddha is saying, no matter what is arising, we're sensitive to it. Sensitive means, it is, is sensitive, being sensitive to what's arising in this moment infers profound acceptance of what's arising without the need to approve it. It's simply there. I am free of distraction. I'm sensitive to what's arising. I just heard of a crazy man dropping bombs or I just heard my neighbor making noise. Or I just had an argument with my spouse. In this moment, I am free of distraction because I'm sensitive to it. I understand it. Free of distraction. I am ardent, alert, and mindful in this moment while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. Nothing in this moment can be or needs to be any different than it is. And again, we can, we, the can be and the needs be, we get, we get those twisted. We, we attach approval to acceptance. But we understand why things arise, why, why um, things that seem contrary to society arise, we understand that that arises out of ignorance, the common ignorance that all human beings are subject to. And out of that understanding, we are able to remain ardent, alert, and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. The Buddha continues, those who see with wisdom and understanding, meaning right view, who, who see with wisdom and understanding the relinquishment, the abandoning, the abandoning of craving and distress are those who have established right mindfulness with equanimity. They remain, equanimity is a, is a quality of mind that is balanced. No matter what is occurring, it maintains a calm and peaceful response. A mind rooted in equanimity. You remember when we went through the Satipatthana Sutta, that is the fourth foundation of mindfulness that is first experienced on our cushion and then off our cushion we take it into our moment-by-moment -moment life 
building on that foundation on our cushion and bring it in to our moment-by-moment life. How do we do it? With the framework of the Eightfold Path, as the Buddha is describing here. And in so doing, we remain in that establishment of mindful equanimity. Then the Buddha declares, when we have done this, when this occurs, this person remains mindful of all mental qualities, free of distraction. Think about this for a moment. And this is the direct development of the Dhamma. When this occurs, this person remains mindful of all mental qualities, free of distraction. That means there, I, there's not a, th- a, a thought left within me that can distract me towards eye-making. This is what the Buddha is teaching human beings to do. And the reason why I'm saying it that way is some of us will might say, well, that's really advanced. I don't think I can do it. This, suit, this particular sutta says, if you are practicing the Dhamma as intended, this is the result. You don't have to grasp after it. You don't have to wonder if you can do it. You can do it. How do we know this? If we've taken true refuge in a human Buddha, his Dhamma, and a well-informed and well-focused Sangha, that's what that infers. When this occurs, this person remains mindful of all mental qualities, free of distraction, ardent, alert, and mindful of putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. This is how mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath. Remember, the Buddha teaches this practice begins in jhana meditation, how mindfulness of the in-breath and the out-breath is appropriately developed within the framework of the Eightfold Path, is appropriately developed so as to bring the four frames of reference, the four foundations of mindfulness, to their culmination. Rooted in jhana meditation, establishing those four foundations of mindfulness, then leads to the successful development of an eightfold path that results in just what we're describing here. I'm just going to skip over my own comments. Okay, the Buddha continues. And this this subsection is called the seven factors of awakening. Let me just check something. Um, You know, I promised to finish this today, but I think I'm going to stop here because we did cover a lot. And the seven factors of awakening, um, I think, should be taught not not separately but in their own in their own class so we will stop there and so when we as we go around I'd, of course I'd like to hear any questions or comments you have on this sutta uh, but let's talk about are you recognizing this development as described in the Anapanasati Sutta and I'll start with Jeff Jeff good to see you today hello everybody um yeah, this this has become very personal for me. I think um, it started out as kind of an abstraction, yeah. uh, but um, it, it's 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 become the more personal I make this, the more I bring it, internalize it. I guess yeah. the, the more effective it, it feels. The more um, the the more I uh, understand the teaching, yeah, uh, it, it's to me it's not something you can apply outside <laughs> of yourself. It's it's it, it's uh, it's not eye making. It's actually the opposite. 
it, it's almost a paradox. You've, you've got to focus completely internally without creating any additional kind of me. Yeah. You're, I, you're really dropping all the, all the me. Yeah. You're dropping everything, really. Um, and, you know, to me, I, I've, I've thought some, uh, a lot about this recently because of current events and so forth. And one, one of the greatest effects of hearing and watching of this magnitude of conflict is that I think it, it cuts to the core of yeah. a threat to, to you as um, to, the, to the, you as an individual. In other words, we, it's not just a challenge to something you believe in. That's right. It's actually an existential threat that we, we translate to ourselves. And that's, you know, if you will, as, as a result of birth, that's one of the primary drives we have. The primary drive is, as an organism is to stay alive. Yep. And when you see something that is, no matter how abstract it is, when you see something as shocking that you can't help I think at least I don't uh, I can't help but take it personally or, or it feels like a threat a personal threat that could be me kind of feeling and yeah so I think on that level of, of personal experience I think this is what that's speaking to is okay. it's a personal experience that you have to drop you have to abandon that that sensation that you are personally being threatened. Yeah. Um, that's not very articulate, but that's what I'm thinking. I, I think it's outstandingly, uh, if that's a word, articulate, Jeff. Um, and let me ask you a question. Do you see a developing inner poise despite everything that's been going on? Most and, certainly, most yeah. certainly. Yeah. Uh, it, it's not that it's not. It, I mean, it's uh, it's not that I still don't have a response, oh. almost a reflexive response to that that those visual images. Uh, yeah. But I don't. I'm, I'm not swept away by them. I yeah. can I can say okay, that's that's uh, that's that's threatening. Uh, so what? Yeah, and that, that's the right response. Like, I, you know, when I see it, um, those of you that have ever been on retreat with me know that I've, I, I've never finished a retreat without bursting into tears out of joy. But what I'm saying is I, I, I'm kind of quick to cry. And I can't get through a news report and not really not, not just burst into tears because I just I, it's astonishing to me what human beings can do with each other. But I but I understand it. Um, I, I, as Jeff did, I grew up when under the threat of nuclear annihilation, really day by day. We, we had the Cuban Missile Crisis and other things. And so um, those of us of a certain age live like that. So this is nothing new to think that this could escalate into a third world war. And it's not that I get to the point where I say, OK, so what? Because that, that's self-referential, isn't it? I'm, I don't care. I care deeply about my life and every other human life, but I also understand that as the Buddha taught Bahia, it's fleeting no matter what. No matter what's going on in the world, 
we are all facing moment by moment death. It, it's, it's just a part of having a human life, whether it's by a bomb, a heart attack, or the next breath brings us into further life. So what's, what is the, the proper response? Well, in this moment, I think the proper response is the recognition that the world is in crisis and let me take to, let me protect the quality of my mind because at least in that way, I can live peacefully in these less than peaceful times. And so maybe be a, a benefit to others by that, but at least I have ended conflict in my mind. I'm no longer conflict, adding conflict in the world by saying, well, we got to kill that SOB or live this SOB or, or join this party. Because None of that. I understand what's occurring. And, and Jeff, you did, you did uh, say that eloquently. Thank you. Dominic, good to see you. Hey. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so many questions, but... Um, That's what we're here for. Yeah, let's just say that uh, I think I'm beginning to... I At least I hope I'm beginning to understand the point of meditation. Because uh, through all these years I've been trying, I... I think I've always wanted, you know, something to happen in meditation, some experience. And then uh, when it didn't happen, I thought I'm not doing it correctly. So I tried to change the techniques and stuff like that. And that just brought more stress. And and maybe, just maybe, I'm beginning to understand now that actually I just have to breathe, you know. Uh, So... How, how should I explain this? This moment of, yeah, I'm going to say it. I know you don't like it, but emptiness comes when I'm empty of thinking. And it's a good feeling. But once I realize it, I begin to, oh, that's, that's yeah, that, that's a good feeling. And then just everything collapses again. Yeah. So that's my problem. But I do think I'm beginning to understand how to do it. So hopefully, yeah, you are. You are doing it. That's it's just that way. So what do you do when everything collapses? I just focus on my breath again and start that, from the beginning. That's it. That's Johnny. And yeah. so you're not doing anything wrong when everything collapses. That's part of. That's part of what we're talking about right here. That's part of yeah. the process of abandoning. But first, you have to recognize it, and you just described it. You get to a point where you're, you're, you're eye-making and that takes you out of jhana, takes you out of concentration and you know what to do about it. You take another breath. And again, that's just what the Buddhists say. In, this, in that moment, you are remaining ardent and alert and mindful while putting aside craving and distress with reference to the world. And then another thought comes in and, and shatters that, if you will. And what do you do? You don't judge yourself harshly. You don't blame the world or the object of that thought. You simply come back to the sensation of breathing. And so what you're doing, Dominic, in a, in a real and direct way, is interrupting what otherwise would be ongoing eye-making because that occurs in a thought. It occurs of ta- attaching one ignorant thought to another, to another, to another that creates a caricature of who we are. And it is the caricature of who we are, the fabrication of who we are, that suffers. A human being, an awakened human being, cannot suffer. At least they can't inflict suffering on themselves. They can, they're prone to sickness, aging, and death, like all of us. 
but we don't take any of it personally. And you are, um, you're developing it, uh, you're developing it nicely as intended. So, and thank you for sharing that, Dominic. Devlin, how are you today? You still with us, Dev? Well, give me a holler when you, if you come on. Sorry, I couldn't. Oh, there you are. Can you find my phone? Ah, well, I'm um, glad you did. How are you doing? Good, good. Um, well, I, I don't have anything to contribute today, but just uh, I appreciate hearing this, Suta. Yeah, I'm glad you joined us, Dev. We'll talk Thank soon, you. too, I hope. Yeah. Hello, Alex. How are you? Good to see you. Hi, John. Hi, everyone. Um... Yeah, not too much for me to add or to, to contribute. Um, one thing that came up at one point is I noticed my fear in going for refuge. Um, I noticed my fear in change and thinking, and then I came back to, well, I, I just thought, oh, who, who am I going to become? <laughs> um, and then I thought, well, if it feels, if you keep following the path and it feels good or, you know, real, I don't know the word really, because you don't, it doesn't, it, it will just feel right, I guess. Mm -hmm. um, then whoever I become is the right, is the right outcome. Um, I don't know, it just, just, just struck me, this fear of change. Yeah, um, and how extreme it is like what Dominic was saying um, when he was describing his experience of meditation it made me realize how hard this feels sometimes yeah. I was thinking about the image that came to my mind was when I learned to do football kick ups like kicking the ball up <laughs> you know I do one and then I drop and then I do two and then it drop and at the moment I, this feels to me like I do one and it drops and then I do one and it drops I never I very rarely do two or three and what I want to do is 50 so it's that I guess it's very easy to get frustrated with that yes um, lack of ability to stay present but we just keep practicing and we have to go gently and that's what yes. I'm trying to learn to do um, and ultimately it's the aspiration that keeps us going, right? And yeah, and we're on the path. Just being on the path is a good place to be. Yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I, I agree with you, Alex. It, it, being on the path is is for me. It's the only place to be uh, if I want to experience life in a certain way. And again, everybody's different. That nobody, the Buddha's words again, over and over again. This is for those with just a speck of dust in their eyes, meaning. There, he understood even before he started teaching that most human beings would not want to relinquish eye making, but he also understood that there was there were those people that would develop this, and and that and that's all that he cared about. He like again, he didn't think, well, if this doesn't save humanity, what's the sense? He just this is what I've understood. See if there's others that that would benefit from it. Uh, and as soon as he started teaching, he realized that there were. Uh, human beings that would benefit 
Um, and, and so, like Dominic said, and you just said, Alex and Jeff too, uh, it's just a matter of doing the practice uh, as wholeheartedly as we can while being gentle with ourselves. Uh, everybody develops the Dhamma at their own pace, but I've never seen anybody that didn't bring the Dhamma to a certain culmination that practiced the Dhamma as intended. Um, I've had many, many students that struggled with just that that nexus, you know, the nexus between understanding and clinging to eye-making, because it, it ultimately it is, it is that relinquishment or abandonment of eye-making that leads to uh, understanding, and the Dhamma is designed to do that. So you're right, Alex, it's just, it's the, the resolution and the culmination is found within the Dhamma, but the challenge is to keep our focus within that Eightfold Path. That's, I, I, I often wondered early on why was the Buddha so specific and almost insistent that you had to do it this way? Because I was of a mind that I wanted to do everything. My mind was a grasping mind. I wanted to, to do a little bit of this and I might have heard you know, some uh, modern teacher say something that I liked. Well, let me, let me you know, buy into that for a while. And so it was difficult for me um, like everyone, to just decide, okay, I'm just going to focus on this and see where it takes me, and that's what changed everything. But you know, it, 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 I also realized that not everybody thinks like me, and it's a good thing they don't. It is, it is my inclinations and my developing understanding that allowed me to develop this. Uh, but again, we're we're all the same. I would say that you're all doing. You're all developing a Dhamma as intended, and you're, I think you're reaping the benefits of it. So thank you, Alex. Matteo, how are you today? All good. Hi, everybody. Dobro vječer, Dominic. Okay, I play the, the, the devil's advocate. Please. Uh, you know, when you, when, you, when you talk with some people, that, of course, they have a superficial view or understanding of Buddhism, you know, they they could just say, oh, don't you think you as Buddhists, you have a very uh, gutless approach to the ordinary life, to the problem in the world? Because they say, okay, you don't want to engage with that, no? You yeah. just sit in, take a breath, and then whatever happens, happens. So it's, yeah. um, um, of course, I don't think it's like that, but it's a bit struggling not to explain that to people they are not engage in uh, in the dharma so what, what is your take about that so oh of course like all, all about the, the war and other stuff but uh, i found this a bit like hypocritical point of view a lot of people not just raise this war they say oh my god there is a war and then the other 17 wars all over the world nobody yeah. well so, thank you for the question and, and i i i'm asked that question you know probably every once a week at least since i've been teaching uh, and, and it's again, it's it's from people that don't understand the Dhamma and think that it's just meditation. And I've had people say, how can you even think of sitting with all the terrible things going on in the world? And I say, you know, basically, unless you do it, you really can't understand why I do it. But I do it so I don't lose my mind over what's going on in the world. And so by me being able to maintain a conflict-free mind as best I can, at least I'm not contributing to the conflict in the world. And then the question might be, well, so what are you doing about it? And my answer might be, well, the, the best thing that I thought I could do with a calm and peaceful mind 
was send a few bucks to an orphanage in Ukraine that I know is doing good work. That's what I did. There's not much else I can do um, as a as a uh, as a, uh, a citizen of the United States. My thoughts might go to okay, who do I think is best to bring peace in the world? And so that's I hope I make a mindful decision and vote that way. But again, that's all I can do. What I don't do anymore is lose my mind over these things. And again, so I don't introduce conflict in the world. Some people will will just consent, continue to cling to the idea that unless you're not screaming, and I, I mean, we can go back years in our country, if, unless you're not screaming at all the injustice in the world, you're not doing anything. You're a bad person or you're part of the problem, all the rest of that. That's just noise in the world. That's, that's what I'm disentangling myself from. And the Dhamma tells me, no, that's the craziness. What makes sense is developing a calm and peaceful, conflict-free mind and be deeply engaged in the world. So look, look to us. Look, again, Matteo, take your, take your point of view. And I know you're, just, you're, you're playing the devil's advocate. Who is more engaged in bringing calm and peace to the world than us right now? Who? And again, it's a rhetorical question you ask, and it's a rhetorical question I'm asking. I don't know that you could find anyone who's, who's contributing more to peace and calm than us. But of course, if I found myself on the ground in Ukraine, I might be doing something different. You know, I might be, I might say, well, the best thing I can do is to take up arms and protect my country. That's, that might be a rational decision. I'm not there. So the yeah, most... Yeah, yeah. But go ahead. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, because, like, it's easy to us to talk because we don't have to take vision, of course. But, uh, extreme example, if you are, like, an Ukraine in Ukraine, and so what do you do? Because if you start to kill other people, you, you just break one of the precepts in Buddhism, no? Abstain to take in life. I mean, I, I put it in a very easy way, but I understand it, like, it's more complex than that if you're, like, in a war conflict. Yes, but, it is. Uh, and, and again, yeah. I'm, I'm sorry, Matteo, please go on. No, I mean, it's like, how you, how you define that? Like, uh, it's a very silly and extreme example, but you're like, in, you're, you're facing a Russian soldier. Uh, what do you do? You just say like, uh, no, I don't, I don't want to kill you. So it's, uh, As, I don't know, I start to think about like somebody in a very, you know, tough, difficult situation, how he can yeah. keep following the Dharma or like, not be distracted by what's going yeah. on around you. Yeah. It, it's a completely reasonable question. In fact, it's probably a question we should all be asking ourselves right now because we might be in that situation. The first response, and I and don't take this as dismissive, and I know you're just you're kind of asking the rhetorical. I don't mean it to be dismissive. Why are you thinking about it? Why are you going there? That's something that is best thought about when you're in that situation. Having said that. I thought about it, and I thought, well, what would I do? And I go back to what the Buddha taught others at the time of conflict. And we have to remember that the Buddha didn't live in some kind of Buddhist utopia. You know, he, he wasn't able to establish peace in the world. During the Buddha's entire lifetime, just like our lifetime, there was conflicts going on constantly. There were always people killing each other. When they came to the Buddha for advice, when the leader said, Look at I gotta go I gotta go fight that state because they're doing this and they're doing that. The Buddha didn't say, No, 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 you can't kill anybody, don't do it. 
He understood the, the, the minds of human beings. And he told these leaders, when you go into battle and you win, you treat people fairly. Now think about that. Think about it. He knew that war was inevitable because he understood the nature of human minds. So what do I do if I find the need to, to, to kill someone to protect house and baby? What do I do? Is it against my beliefs that I should never kill anyone? By the way, that's not what that means. What it, what it means is, what is, using the Dhamma, what is my intention? And then we're getting into what is the lesser of two evils in the world, in the world we live in. There is going to be conflict. That guy, the sniper behind the tree, is trying to kill, kill me and my babies. Haven't they put their, their responsibility for their safety onto me? It, don't I have a responsibility? Again, these are things that we can think about, but when we start getting reacting to that thought and thinking about me having to take out a sniper, then I come back to, wait a minute, I'm going too far, I'm not there. What I can do is prepare my mind in this moment for the possibility of anything that occurs in the world. Whether it's having to confront somebody else trying to kill me and my family or me and my country, or it's a noisy neighbor next door. Because the, the reaction to that will depend on the quality of my mind in this moment. So the what if is something that it's okay to think about, but don't go too far with it. And recognize that the most important thing for me in this moment is wise restraint in my life as my life occurs. So I'm not at the front line right now. None of us are. And it's okay to think about it, but don't take it too far because it really is immediately irrelevant to what's occurring. So our friends that are caught up in this and saying, how can you just meditate? If you can explain it to them, and most people won't listen, you can say, well, I found a way to develop a calm and peaceful mind no matter what's occurring in the world. I have developed a conflict-free mind, and so I'm not contributing to conflict in the world. And some people will say, well, that's just a lot of bullshit. You should be as agitated as I am. But that's all that is. That's just a, a, a mind rooted in eye-making that wants other minds to be rooted in eye-making. But that's the nature of ignorance, isn't it? to continue itself. So, Mateo, is that is my response helpful to you? Yeah, yeah. It's just because of, uh, for me it's slightly you know, more real because I have this good friend in Ukraine and yeah. we're, still, we're still alive. We're still chatting every two, three days. And, you know, I explained him about Buddhism all this time. Of course, like, we got into some argument because I understand also how stressful it can be his life right now. He's in Kiev. So it's... Uh, also, for me, I, will, I feel shy in somehow to tell him, oh, don't worry, just meditate. It's like, uh, but uh, that is exactly what I, what I, actually what I think. It's, uh, you know, he just asked me a lot of questions, like, oh, do you come, do you come, don't you come? I say, no, because, like, I don't support neither side. And, you know, other questions, like, oh, well, what, a lot of these irrelevant questions, like, oh, what if happens in Italy? What do you do? I will come to help you. All these kind of questions, but it's just a lot of if, 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 yeah. but it doesn't happen. Yeah, all speculation. And really, it, 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 it's a little bit beyond speculation. It's, it, 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 it's rooted in imagination because yeah, it's, yeah. Not, it's not what's occurring. And again, we have to be careful when we're talking with someone who's you know, on ground zero. 
they're not likely going to listen to anything we say, but again, we're not just meditating, we're developing an understanding of Four Noble Truths, that of the nature of ignorance manifesting in the world, which is what this is. And again, not, not to put blame, but the, the broader picture here is that you're right, Ukraine. Ukraine, there's both, there's two sides to this. And, you know, you, you, can, you can get into the what ifs, why, well, why, didn't, uh, why didn't they develop their own army that was capable? Because they lived right next door to this guy. And it's a reasonable question, I guess, but then the answer is, well, they didn't, you know, they didn't. So the, the, if we want to get into blame, we could, you can always find blame to, you know, to, you can always blame anyone for anything. What's the quality of my mind in this moment? What do I need to do to attend to that? Because that's the most important thing. If your friend was fortunate enough to have come across the Dhamma and develop it, you wouldn't be having this argument. You might be talking about, you know, how your friend is saying, I can develop, in, in the midst of all these bombings, I have a common, peaceful mind. Well, you know, good for you. But it's not what it, what's occurring. It, we, we, it's easy to get caught up in the, in the argument that, you know, we're, we're hundreds or thousands of miles away and it's easy to sit and meditate. It is. But that's not all that I do. And it's not all that I think about. I'm not, I'm not uh, 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 disjointed from the world in a sense that I'm not in it. I'm, I'm deeply involved in it. You know, I, I, I teach, I teach three, these three classes a week, but I also and spend a lot of time online with people all over the world. That, you know, and the, quest, the common question now is, you know, what do I do? What do I do? What do I do? Sometimes the, the, my answer is satisfying like this sutta that, I can teach people how to satisfy their minds through the Dhamma, but if they insist on being entangled in the world through understandable fear and, and buying into the rhetoric, there isn't much that I can do. But I still come back to what I want to do in any situation is to maintain a calm and peaceful and conflict-free mind. It, 20 years ago, I'd be saying, you got to kill this fucking asshole because of the mother, you know, this and that. And what does that do? In fact, I bet you as I used those words, you were all getting a little bit agitated, weren't you? Because they're agitating words. So we don't do that. You know, we understand. It's a tragic time in human history. And it's no different than any other day. And that's maybe the most tragic thing. Thank you, Mateo. Tom, how are you? Um, you're very quiet. I can't hardly hear you. Oh, uh, you can't hear me. Just have to say, wait one second. Thank I'm you. Gonna, I'm just gonna put in my put in my earphones. Uh, just give me two seconds. Take your time. Okay. Can you hear me now? It's a little better. Perfect. All right. All right. Great. So, um, yeah, very quickly, I've, I've all my life been a bit of a, um, a news junkie. Um, and I've really tried, I think this Ukraine crisis has been a bit of an, um, it's been an encouragement for me to try to wean myself off that. Um, not to say I don't care about the situation, but I'm just trying to, um, 
uh, yeah, removed that in, insane distraction from my life. Um, I, I, what, what I mean by that is following on a sort of a 24-7 news channel basis. Um, yep. And I've, I've, I've really made an effort on that the last week. Um, but that's not what I wanted to talk about. Just a couple of things. Um, what Alex said, that's an analogy which probably won't mean much to our American friends. Um, but uh, it's something that means something to me. So yeah, this idea of we used to try and balance the ball on our foot and sort of bounce it up and down, right? It was a way of training. And yep. um, um, Alex is probably better at it than me. But um, the the I, I was it, it was an analogy that got me thinking because I I'm I'm kind of the, in in a way it meant something to me because I've always had uh, throughout my life I've I'd have I've had different kind of mini obsessions. Uh, whether it be learning languages, so I got really, really passionate about learning languages, and I put all of my heart and soul into that. Um, and um, uh, you know, there's many other things. My 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 work. Um, there's um, uh, you know writing and all of these things that I've done for periods of my life. I've got really into it, and I've been able to. I wouldn't say master the skill, but I've been able to get it to a reasonably proficient level. And and so I was also thinking on Alex's analogy. Well, why why is it so challenging with um, with 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 meditation? Um, and I think it is the fact that if you were to think of that idea of balancing a ball or trying to bounce a ball off your foot, you've only got that one thing that you're trying to do in that moment, right? Whereas I think with um, with meditation and with the Dharma in general, although these teachings give so much clarity. The reality is that we're just surrounded, we're in this world of distraction. Yep. So if you imagine trying to bounce a ball off your foot, but every time you're trying to do it, you're suddenly thinking, wait, but is this really the thing I want to be doing? Or do I want to be doing something else? Yep. Or, you know, if you constantly have this, this distractions while you're trying to bounce a ball off your foot, you're also going to be lousy at that. And I think it's that single focus, um, that single-minded focus on doing, on mastering a skill um, and really taking it seriously, which enables you to get proficient at it. And I think that's the, at least for me, I'm just speaking for myself, I don't know about anyone else, but for me, that's my biggest challenge in meditation is, 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 um, is the, it's just distraction. It's things that are out there yeah. in the world that keep making, keep tricking my mind into thinking, oh no, you don't really want the Dharma. You know, there's something else. You might lose your identity. You've got to be Tom, the the this or the that you've got to you've got to you know achieve something you've got to uh you've got to be someone someone else um and so uh that's why just just like what dominic uh, was saying earlier that's the that's the absolute genius of these teachings because it is so pure, it is so simple and it encourages us to, to you know limit our distractions um and i do notice despite the fact that I, I, in some ways, you know, would love to have made even more progress over the months and years that I've been practicing, I do notice progress. I really do, especially since I've come to these, um, these more sort of pure teachings. Um, and so, yeah, it is, it is possible. And, um, and it, 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 but it, but it's, it's, um, it's tough. Yeah. <laughs> but it's, it's well worth it. Um, so that was just that. And then just one other thing, just uh, just a question. When you said, I will breathe in and out 
satisfying the mind. I'm a little bit confused by this word satisfying, if I'm honest, because you would think of, you know, food satisfies the stomach, right? And it, that is associated with kind of craving almost. So what does, can you just explain briefly a little bit more that word satisfying, because it's it, it, satisfying the mind. And yet I think of a mind that can never be satisfied because your mind is constantly, you know, yeah. monkey mind going from, Yep. from one branch to the next. So what does it really mean to satisfy the mind? It's it just that. It, it, again, thank you for the, for the insightful question. It, a mind that is... An aspect of dukkha could be unsatis, I'm unsatisfied with my life, with what's occurring right now, so I need something to be different. I want more or less of what's occurring. And so a mind that is simply mindful of the breath, the in-breath in and the out-breath, Within the framework, practicing jhana meditation within the framework of the Eightfold Path, that simple act in that moment, my mind is satisfied. And that might even, even, even that it, it's just a, a brief moment in our life, so what? That's everything. And the recognition of it is so much, is so important to recognize that in this moment, my in-breath and my out-breath has, uh, has allowed me to relinquish and abandon all eye-making. And again, just in that moment is enough to recognize that my mind is satisfied. But remember, the sutta is the Buddha teaching the results of Dhamma practice. So in order to understand what it means completely, you have to develop it yourself. But it means just that. It's the cessation of eye-making. Again, another line in this particular sutta. Um, and I did understand Alex's analogy about, about I, you know, I tried to do that. I think I got up to three, and then I realized that I'm going to go back to real football. Oh, be careful <laughs> what you say there, John. <laughs> yeah, I'm making there, huh? <laughs> Jeff, was that just an agreement? Uh, well, it was, but I, I thought maybe if, with your permission, I'll add another sports analogy. Please. You, you might appreciate this one more. Back when I played golf, when I was learning how to play golf, uh, I discovered that the harder I tried, the worse I got. Yeah, me too. And and when you got to a point where you, you kind of gave up trying so hard and just hit the damn ball, things seemed to really flow well. Yeah. Um, the times I was on a, in high school, I was on a golf team. It was my off-season sport just for something to do. But a couple of my good friends were really talented, avid golfers. That was their sport and their game. And I would never dream of actually competing with them or trying to steal their seat in the next tournament or whatever. So when I went out with them, it was just purely for fun. They were much better golfers than I. And... Uh, and I did really well because I wasn't really trying. I wasn't trying to prove yeah. anything. I wasn't trying to get anywhere. I just slapped at the thing, and it went where it was supposed to go. Yeah. Um, the same thing happened to me in meditation. As soon as I tr quit trying, right, and, and part of that trying in sports is an evaluation of yourself, Right. I'm, I'm a good golfer or I'm no good, or I'm good at soccer or I'm no good at soccer. Uh, you know, I, it, 
as soon as you don't care whether you're good or not, or whether you're getting someplace or not, or whether you're doing it right or not, the chances are pretty good that you'll just do it and not, I mean, that's literally what I do now. I, sometimes it works. I, I can sit at the end of my session and say, wow, that was really deep. Some days I say, well, that was, that was a waste of time all the way around, but it, it works. Every time I try to get someplace with it or prove something, it's just, it's a wash. It doesn't work. So for what that's worth. Thank you, Jeff. I think it's worth a lot. I see Alex shaking his head in agreement. And uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I was the same way. I, I started playing golf when I was really young and I was competitive. I played in junior tournaments and I was okay. I was never great at it. And later on in life, I'm talking about in my 30s, um, I joined a club, which is not far from here. And it was the first time I was part of a private club. Uh, not that it, it, wasn't, it wasn't an exclusive club. You know, if you had a couple thousand bucks, you could join. But the, the, the competition uh, was just fierce. And it wasn't any fun. And I always expect, you know, as a joiner to show up on Saturday and Sunday mornings and, and play in these tournaments. And it was just miserable. And I stopped doing it. And I used to go out. I still remember it when I could play. I'd go out on a Wednesday afternoon when nobody else was on the course. It was late. And I'd play two or three golf balls. And I'd just whack them around. And I loved it. And it was, it was the best golf of my life. But I also had to get rid of the idea, like, like if, if you're a soccer player and you're, you're grasping after, you got to be Pele or somebody else. He's the only one I can remember. In my case, it was always Jack Nicklaus. And if I, you know, if I couldn't hit 340-yard drive straight down the middle, I was no good. It wasn't fun. And any time that we try to be something other than what we are in this moment, we're all, <laughs> we're all guys here, life sucks. It just does. Why? Because I'm beating up myself. I'm telling myself I'm no good. The same thing as if I'm reacting to the world. It's because I want the world to be different. Why? Because I'm, I don't fit. Well, I do. And how do I fit in the world? Well, the only way I can fit in the world is if I can fit myself into my own mind. Because that's where I exist. We all live within here. So what are we going to think about it? Are we going to think about, I need more, I need to be more, I need to be better, I need to be able to bounce the ball a hundred times to be good? Or, this is what I'm doing right now and having a hell of a lot of fun doing it. That's our choice, you know, or maybe not fun, maybe just, just understanding. But that brings, as Jeff said about golf, that brings a calm and peaceful mind. And in most situations, it brings a lightness to what we're doing. Rather than doing something out of a sense of duty, even if it's a misguided duty, for me to be something other than what I am, to live in that imagination and that fabrication. The, this is what I wanted my whole life, you know, when I was a frustrated and angry little kid, through most of my early adulthood. And again, even though I was fairly successful uh, from a financial point of view, nothing else was working. I had a, a poor marriage, a misunderstanding. I, you know, I. Um, I was just an angry person because I didn't understand. And I'm not angry about it. I'm not angry at Putin. I'm not angry at, I mean, I think, I think right now, and again, not to get into the, just to, so you understand my mind state. It's, it, I think that we happen to have the worst president we've ever had in history, but I don't have to lose my mind over it. And I don't have to insist that, you know, that he'd be different. It's just what we're living with in the world. And, you know, what am I going to do about today? What can I, 
what can I attend to today that's going to make a difference in the world? If I have any conflict, I need to recognize it and abandon it. Or let me say it this way, I need to recognize where it comes from and abandon the eye-making in that thought. And in so doing, I maintain a calm and peaceful mind. So I, I really want to give you all a lot of credit. And I'm not, you know, I, I think you know I'm not given to hyperbole. I know how difficult it is to maintain a practice in times like this. Um, and you're doing it. And you're doing it the way it's intended. As You're doing it as the Buddha taught in the sutta. So give yourselves all a lot of credit. You should. And continue to be very gentle with yourself. You should. Uh, does anybody else have anything they'd like to say or add to this class? I would just say that I like the analogy of uh, Jeff's analogy between golf and meditation. No? If you, from an outsider point of view, it seems that both things we are, don't do anything. No? We are, it's boring to watch, but then we are doing something. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it is. It, it, I, you know, I'll tell you a little secret. It's got nothing to do with the Dhamma. Saturday and Sunday afternoons, I always take a nap. But the way I take a nap is I put golf on and I go to sleep. <laughs> I very rarely watch a whole tournament. But, you know, that, that to me, that's the joy of golf. <laughs> I don't have to pay too much attention to it, whether I'm watching it or playing it. And again, think about it. Just, just like, you know, soccer is intense and it can be when one team's playing it, when Manchester, you, I don't remember the teams. But it's just, it's just children or men kicking a ball around. Golf is just, you know, children or men whacking, or, or women whacking a ball around. Why? How can you take it seriously? Maybe when there's, you know, twenty million dollars on the line or something. But still, if it, if, if you're playing professional golf and you hate it because you only want to win, you know, give it up and, and go play with me and Jeff. I'm even thinking. I, I never thought about it before, but I would. Only because it it didn't seem fun to me. I'm thinking of, uh, I talked to Matt and Kevin, because they're big golfers, about playing wheelchair golf, because I, I think I might enjoy it now, because I've gotten past the the idea that i got to be standing up and hitting the ball 300 yards. So, you know, I'm, I'm living my life as it as it is right now. Uh, i got to say that living my life as it is right now and sharing the Dharma with all of you is it really is the most meaningful thing I could imagine doing today. So thank you all for that. Uh, we'll finish as we always do uh, with Meta, and you know, think about these words here too. That um, they're even more, much more appropriate today than than they were. And the Buddha taught this sutta, the Karaniya Metta Sutta, uh, during times of extreme strife, and the the original monks and nuns didn't know how to handle it, and so he taught this. So. Keep in mind what's occurring in the world today. And take a moment to be mindful of your in-breath and your out-breath. And let that mindfulness of your breath unite your mind in, in your body. In the Buddha's words, This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. That's us, folks. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove. May all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, 
the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born. May all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings. Radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will. Whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Again, thank you all for a wonderful class. Uh, Tom, would you stop? Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.